Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're listening to Pit Pass F1. My name's Michael Lavanato, and this is the 2024 F1 season preview. Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing claimed last year's title double at a canter in the most dominant campaign in Formula 1 history. They surely couldn't do it again, could they? Well, with pre-season testing in the books, we've got our first glimpse at what the competitive order might be heading into this weekend's Bahrain Grand Prix. In the lead-up to the season, we're going to have a look at what we've learned and what we might be able to expect for the year ahead. All this season on Pit Pass F1, you'll be hearing from esteemed journalists on the ground in the Formula 1 paddock, bringing you the inside scoop on the stories dominating the sport around the world. It's F1 news firsthand every day of every Grand Prix weekend from people really in the know. So let's hear from two of them now as we preview the 2024 season. First of all, Chris Medland, nice to see you. It's good to see you too, mate. Thanks for having me back. And Julianne Sarasoli, great to have you back. Oh, great to have you all back too. <laughs> it's good to be together in 2024, isn't it? Now, we've just finished pre-season testing, and Chris, I'll start with you. You were not only in Bahrain, but continue to be in Bahrain, <laughs> so eager are you for the first race of the season. The talk of pre-season testing was this new-look Red Bull racing car that's wowed even rival team bosses. How afraid should we be of the reigning Constructors' champion? Absolutely terrified. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know if I'd go that hard. Uh, I think it's, in a sense, we shouldn't be surprised. If you look at how dominant Red Bull were last year and the year before, really, once they just got the weight of the car right, in this era of regulations, clearly they've got a brilliant understanding of what it takes to make a car go fast and they've got a great team that can exploit that. So when they then had a bit more time last year because they were so dominant to be able to work on the next car, to come up with something that was a big step forward, at least visually, uh, I don't think really should have shocked us quite as much as it did. I think we just maybe all got a bit complacent thinking, well, they're, they're so good, they won't want to change too much. But they kind of are not changing too much. They're, they're following the same path they have up to now where they're just being a step ahead of everyone all the time. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's ominous for a potentially uncompetitive season in terms of race wins or or championship fights, uh, put it that way. But I think the flip side is, while it's very impressive what Red Bull have done, last year they were in a strong position, but most of their rivals were in a weak position. You know, Aston Martin made a huge step forward because so many of Mercedes, Ferrari and McLaren didn't and were in a bad spot. That's not the case this year. So I think it, we do have to kind of recognise that everyone's made a, a step forward uh, and just kind of take it out off to Red Bull that they, they haven't kind of relaxed on how dominant they were and are moving it as far forward as they can quickly. Julianne, Ferrari seemed to come on strong late in the three-day test. So that only means the last two days, if we can call that late. It seems like at this stage, maybe... 
they could be Red Bull Racing's closest challenger. The Italian team, though, has a pretty long history of over-promising and under-delivering. Is there anything you've seen that makes us particularly optimistic that maybe Ferrari has got it right-ish this year and can make things interesting? Yeah, I was going to say that every year it seems like Ferrari is strong after testing, right? (laughs) But the important thing is that we pay attention to what the drivers are saying and also watching the cars on the track. I wasn't in testing, but I trust the journalists who were there watching the cars and telling me that it looked really good. It looked really consistent. It looked like the car was doing what the drivers wanted it to do, which is a big step compared to last year. There's something that Leclerc said that really called my attention that in the beginning of the year, the car was so reckless that in the the start of the development, they didn't know in which direction they should go because basically they didn't know what to fix. And now they can identify the weaknesses, they're still there, but they have a clear path on what to follow. And what happened throughout last year is that the development rate was very good for Ferrari. Since uh, the upgrade they did in Spain, it started to grow and grow and grow. And it was always in this, in the, in a good direction. So I, I'm, I have high hopes for Ferrari. High hopes are not fighting for the championship. I think it's very clear that the championship is basically decided who's going to win, but we will have a very, very good battle in the, in the second place, third place, and so on. The field is really, really close. And we still, I think we haven't seen everything from, uh, from Mercedes yet. Mercedes have a, a good race pace. They say they have to work a little bit on the, the qualifying pace. Let's be honest, they've been working on the qualifying pace for two years now, but uh, let's see how far they can go. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, when you mentioned Mercedes as well. Uh, but for both teams, they just seemed so much happier in terms of driver feedback, in terms of comments about how they'd addressed problems that they'd had last year. Charles Leclerc said that 12 months ago, Ferrari gave him the worst test of his career so far. Uh, and then this time around, he's like much better, much happier. Um, I, don't, I don't think he went quite as far as to say it was the best ever. Uh, some people said that's what he was saying. And I don't think he was quite that carried away because he still put Red Bull comfortably further forward. But in isolation for each team, you had... Uh, a set of goals of what they needed to address what they needed to improve and they on the whole did that and that puts them in a stronger position to start the year and try and close the gap to Red Bull whereas I think maybe we were expecting a bit much that everyone would come out and have automatically shut it over the winter Uh, it was a short winter as well we've got to remember that it wasn't long long ago that we were in Abu Dhabi doing the final race Uh, and then yeah with the timings of launches and when the cars hit the track yeah stuff signed off so long ago uh, that realistically uh, is one of those where we're looking at uh, a, a kind of continuation um, from 2023. You, you don't have six months or a whole year of just solid development to be able to go, right, whole new car. Um, the budget cap stops that. You've still got to pick your fights. So I think what, what was encouraging is that Ferrari and Mercedes both seem to pick their fights and manage to improve what they needed to improve. Yeah, because uh, throughout last year, they were basically fixing problems. And because Rebel was one step ahead, as you were saying earlier, because they, from the the first year, they realized what, what was important about this set of rules. So they're always going to be one step further. 
while the others were just fixing problems, dealing with porpoising. Even Mercedes had a bit of porpoising in the last day when they changed the suspension. So it's a little bit still fixing problems, but now I think they can move forward instead of just being up and down all the time. One team or a couple of teams I think people are really eager to know how they performed this year are not only Mercedes, but McLaren and Aston Martin. McLaren and Aston Martin in particular having made big jumps at various points last year, and I guess in Aston Martin's case, sliding a little bit down the order towards the end of last year. Does it seem like they might be picking up from where they left off? Or I guess, as you mentioned, Chris, is Aston Martin actually perhaps being found out from an unusually strong start last season? No, I think it's actually more positive than that for Aston Martin. I think they've done a good job of moving forward again with their car. And they're just in a position now where it just doesn't put them at the front of that pack because everyone else has done a good job too. But actually, if we use the context of McLaren, McLaren were nowhere in pre-season testing for the last two years. They had lots of problems, reliability issues, car issues. And again, another team that was then trying to resolve problems uh, and came on strong later. And they were basically half a season behind with their development heading into 2023. So once they got the car upgraded in Austria last year, suddenly looked great. Now, McLaren are also able to kind of stay in that mix and stay in that place uh, with the work they've done over the winter. They're kind of continuing that development. So they're still strong. But then, yeah, with Aston Martin, they certainly haven't gone backwards. If anything, uh, I was speaking to the Red Bull technical director who was saying, well, that's a, a really well-developed car. You know, we're, we're impressed with what they've done there. So it, it's still catching the eye. And, and Aston Martin themselves, Mike Crack was saying he was really pleased with how testing went. So I think it's more that the level of progress from Aston has been strong again, maybe even as strong as it was 12 months ago, but also it's in a much tighter fight already where everyone else seems to have made a similar step forward. So no one's dropped the ball like they had 12 months ago. And that's why they won't look as strong as they did a year ago when, when in essence they are. You know, they're, they are a team that was a midfield team and is now very much in the, in the mix to be best of the rest behind Red Bull. And Julianne, I know the midfield's a pretty relative term in Formula 1. You could argue all those teams we've just talked about is technically the midfield, but a little bit further back. Uh, there are a couple of teams in the mix here and there's already some vague controversies in this part of the field. I'm thinking in particular of the newly repanded RB team, formerly AlphaTauri. They've courted some controversy for the close relationship with Red Bull Racing. Do you expect some big results from Daniel Ricciardo and Yugi Sonoda this year? Well, I think after testing, oh, first, how are we going to call it? I like to call it V-Carb because it feels like it's a new diet or something. I like it. <laughs> so RB, V-Carb or... Minaji, if you want to go that far, <laughs> they, I, I don't think they did as much of a step as people were expecting because it's not, F1 is not plug and play. You know, you don't put, of course, you're going to put, uh, they started using uh, Red Bull suspension in Singapore last year and that improved the car a lot. The suspension is one of the <clears throat> key things that Red Bull has. So we, it's going to improve, but to use everything they have together now from suspension, now that they have loads of things from Red Bull and also using the same wind tunnel for two years now. So they've known, they know how to use that wind tunnel a little bit better. And the car looks a lot like a Red Bull or last year's Red Bull because they, they went a step further. But it's not uh, clear and cut that you're going to copy one team and you're going to start um be in the same uh, same kind of performances as that team. Uh, if it was like that, 
bigger teams like Ferrari and Mercedes would be at Red Bull's level. So I think they did a, a, a good step. Some people are putting them in the back of the first part of the, the, the field. I don't know what that is. So that, that could be outside of the points because we're already talking about five teams in the front. So, so uh, towards the front of the grid is already out of the points. So I, I expect them to be uh, maybe fighting for an odd 10th, 9th position. Uh, but then throughout the season, they will learn more about that car. And I think they will be doing a great development throughout the season. We will wait and see with interest because that is such a changeable part of the field. It's hard to predict exactly where those teams are. I want to look at some broader issues now, though, because one of the big stories uh, of the offseason, of course, was Lewis Hamilton deciding to move to Ferrari in 2025, that is. The driver market is at least poised to be much more lively than it was last season. There are 13 drivers out of contract this year, if we include... Lance Stroll, and I guess it's debatable whether or not we should. Chris, let's start with Mercedes, I guess, here. Where's it going to go to replace a driver like Lewis Hamilton? Lewis Hamilton's leaving? <laughs> um, yeah, that was... What a great story that is, by the way. I mean, the way that that really kind of went beyond Formula One into the sporting world and just the wider news interest of Hamilton joining Ferrari was really exciting to see, actually. And I think it was a boost F1 needed. And I'm trying to remember it based on how much we're talking about Red Bull and potential dominance again this year, which uh, I think has not got people quite as excited unless they're a huge Max Verstappen fan. So, um, yeah, that's that's a real, a real boost that the sport maybe needed. But you're right. I think it's actually going to be the big story that runs and runs this year, assuming that we don't have a competitive championship, is who's going to get that Mercedes seat because as we've both mentioned earlier in the show Mercedes do look like they've given the drivers a better car a more drivable car something that will they will be happier with and therefore should be able to target multiple podiums maybe even the odd win with uh, and it's going to be Sergio Perez's seat aside at Red Bull which I always think is you know it's a Red Bull seat they tend to have a very small shortlist of drivers that they're interested in uh, beyond that it's the most competitive seat available and that means pretty much every other driver on the grid and as you mentioned loads of them out of contract uh, are going to want it so I found it really funny that uh, George Russell did say uh, he'd been seeing Toto Wolff's phone lighting up with different drivers numbers and messages <laughs> during the winter and that his own had been that was the really telling bit um, you know he's clearly popular George because he, he works um, in the GPDA very high up he's well respected on the grid uh, and it's Sounds like a lot of them were getting in touch with him and just finding out what they, what he knew or was hearing and that sort of thing, maybe put themselves in the frame. So there's lots of different ways Mercedes can go as well, uh, whether it's experience like Fernando Alonso, uh, and that's a lot of experience, uh, whether it's less experience, but still race winning experience in Carlos Sainz, whether it's someone who's had a chance and dropped away and, and is earning another one in someone like Alex Albon, uh, or go crazy with a rookie and Kimi Antonelli if things are really good for their young driver who's starting F2 this year. So, yeah, so many permutations there. I think it's going to be a proper ongoing thread uh, through the season that's going to be uh, great fun to follow. And also there's a story about this last year of Lewis uh, at Mercedes. If Ferrari are doing really well, I think he'll be having a, a little bit of a, a grin uh, because... I don't know if Chris is there because I wasn't in testing, but I don't know if it, things are going a little bit sour already between Lewis and Mercedes or a bit colder. I think it would be uh, more appropriate because I remember uh, Fernando when he announced that he was going to McLaren 
and he had to do another full season at Reno. He started okay, he was fighting for the championship and then Fernando in the end, he's just saying, no, the team is not supporting me, my teammate is not supporting me and things went really badly and still he, he won the championship. So I wonder how these dynamics will play out throughout the season, throughout all these ups and downs that the season has. We know how Lewis is when he is not doing well at the track. He just leaves the car and lets it all out. And he doesn't, he doesn't play that he's happy on. He just says as it is. So I'm very curious to, to see how this is going to pan out. Well, guys, you may have cut your own lunch for my next question because that is a big story. That is going to be one of the dominant stories of this season, particularly if it is something akin to one-way traffic at the front of the championship. But what are your stories to follow this season? If you had to pick one particular narrative you think is going to unfold in 2024, what is it that you're looking for? Yeah, if it's not Hamilton to Ferrari and the knock-on effect on Mercedes, it's just a wider driver market. I mean, as you said, there's so many drivers out of contract, so many different permutations as a result of that. Uh, but also, these moves are not going to be just based on who's competitive this year. Uh, so for Lewis and Ferrari, maybe so, because you know Ferrari are, are much better than Mercedes, for example. That's a good move for him. And if not, then you've only got one year of 2025 regs before we get a whole new set of regulations. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of kind of looking ahead beyond this season to the 25 and 26 driver markets and the moves people might make. So trying to get that right is going to be impossible for certain drivers. And I think with some of the talent that is in Formula 2 now, uh, I'm thinking of, yeah, Kimi Antonelli is a Mercedes young driver, or Andrea Kimi Antonelli to give him his full name, but everyone loves the Kimi part. Um, <laughs> and he's going to be making his debut for Prema in Formula 2 with really high expectations. He's, he's jumped up there, missed F3. Uh, and a lot of people are touting him for an F1 seat in the following year. But his teammates, Oli Behrman, who's a Ferrari young driver and only 18 himself and been hugely impressive. So there's some real good talent there that could be knocking on the door for a seat next year, potentially at Haas for, for Behrman. So that would mean someone's going to miss out that's on the current grid. And it really does feel like it's almost like musical chairs. It'll be when the music stops, did you sign a deal or not? Because I reckon multiple drivers will have multiple options and they'll be trying to work out which one's going to be the best over the longer term. But in doing that, someone else might end up in that seat because they just commit earlier or, or they sort of, you know, the team's not really willing to wait. So uh, I think it's going to be really tense, actually, and fascinating, the driver market. I think it's already tense. I was speaking to Perez in the Red Bull launch and he was like, oh, no, I have to know everything that is going on. I have to talk to everyone. So he's he knows his position, Once, especially after testing once again, we're talking about Verstappen, 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 because the difference is still quite big between him and Verstappen. He just cannot explore everything that the Red Bull can give. And he knows that already. It has happened again. So he's looking at the market because he knows when the, the music stops, he might be out of a seat. So he's trying to position himself. And that is one spot that I don't know what Red Bull will do because I'm not sure a lot of drivers would want to be Verstappen's teammate because he's so much in control of the team, in control of the car, of everything, that, okay, it's a winning car, but maybe not a winning car for the second driver. <laughs> but another story, so we don't speak about driver's market for the whole year, because we will. Another story that I'm curious about is Alpine. Alpine, they did a very bad test. 
there were some journalists, I even put in them as the last of the field. Uh, there's talk about engineers just leaving. And it's not something that started now. It's something that came from last year. A lot of people unhappy inside the team with, with the way the, the team is run and technically as well. And they cannot find a way out. And if you see you know, many cars, you have the, the water slide, right? This was created by Alpine like two years ago. It's not that they've been horrible for a long time. It just things went downhill and I think we haven't seen the bottom yet. So that's the story I'm very curious about. We'll be fascinating to see. And guys, it wouldn't be a preseason testing episode if I didn't ask you for predictions. I'm not going to ask you for your championship prediction. I feel like we've canvassed that as well. So I'm happy for you to pick your own brief prediction for the season ahead before we get underway in Bahrain. So I'm going to go for two because one is the other end of the championship, which I'm thinking Haas is still going to end up last to just kind of soften the blow for Alpine fans. Uh, <laughs> mainly, though, because of the the potential for Alpine to just develop a bit better. And uh, yeah, they sh- I think it testing, it, it did mask where they really were based on the tyres they use and the fuel they use. They quite often look really bad in testing. And I, I you know, all the sounds are that Alpine could be in some real trouble, like you just said. But I think they're not as far off as, as maybe Haas would be. But Haas were very positive uh, during the test. The atmosphere there under Eo Komatsu was actually really good. Surprised me, to be brutally honest. So uh, I'm going to say that Haas are going to end up last, but maybe not unhappy. Uh, and then I'm going to stick my neck out with uh, something that I, I'd said before testing started. And I'm still going to stick with it. I reckon four different teams win races this year. Oh. I just don't see that we're going to have it was remarkable what Red Bull did last year, but I just feel like the starting point of everyone else means actually there's going to be a, a stronger group of cards. It's not just going to be one team each time that is maybe somewhere near uh, at each race. Um, it was rare that we had Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren and Aston all quite close to Red Bull. It was normally one of them that was doing it at certain times and certain tracks suited certain cars. So yeah, I'm going to go, you know, we... It, it doesn't sound actually that as far-fetched as you imagine because we had two teams win last year and that was an anomaly to me. So uh, I just, I just, I'm hopeful that people starting in better places means we're just going to get a few more weekends where actually there's a chance that's taken by these teams. So I'm going to go with four, four different winners. Well, that's a very big hope. Uh, I hope you're right, Chris. <laughs> I'm not sure at the moment because Red Bull, they, they seem, the, the race simulations that Verstappen did they had zero degradation because he wasn't even pushing. So it only shows that the, the the biggest advantage they had was during the races and how they treated the tires and that didn't go away. So that's why I'm, I'm not sure. I hope you're right, but I, I'm not sure. What I, I do think, I do agree with you that what we've seen last year was just so ups and downs from this chasing pack. And I think we're going to see something more consistent. So I predict a very intense battle even for the second place in the the championship because Sergio is not there again. And it's going to be very, very close racing. I think that's what we can hope for. One guy in the front, okay, it happens in Formula One every now and then that someone excels, which is great. It just uh, shows greatness. But I predict that we're going to have very, very close racing and it's going to be interesting. 
Uh, and we're going to have some problems with uh, the tracks as well, with the drinkovers. <laughs> I think this is going to happen. <laughs> because the, yeah, the cars are getting stronger and stronger. And the FIA has to be... Uh, they they do have a protocol in place for street tracks after what happened in Baku, I think two years ago, if I remember correctly, with the Williams. And uh, with the way that the drink overs have to be attached, that wasn't followed in Las Vegas because of a, a regulation they had there. It was a state regulation. But they don't have that for the, the permanent circuits. And I think they will have to look into that as well because the, the cars are getting stronger and stronger, more suction, and it, it could get a bit dangerous. So I hope they are on top of this. I like the idea that a new Formula One fan, like only a few months into their Formula One fanship, thinks that two out of three venues have drain problems because that's the strike rate <laughs> that Formula One's been hitting recently. <laughs> it's unusual, but maybe the trend continues this season. We don't know. Well, guys, it was great to talk to you. I like that we started this podcast by asking whether or not Red Bulls should making everyone afraid. And in the end, we've predicted four different teams winning races in a very close uh, battle for... We won't say which position. For positions, I like to stay optimistic. Very <laughs> pleased to see those ones come through and we'll hear from you over the course of the year. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Let's have a great season. That was Chris Medland and Julianne Serasoli, two of our hosts who'll be in the paddock all this season bringing you news direct from the source. You can find more from both Chris and Julianne via the social links in the show description. The 2024 Formula 1 season starts this weekend with the Bahrain Grand Prix, which gets underway a day earlier than usual. Pit Pass F1 will be back in your feeds on Wednesday night with our first preview of the year, with practice taking place on Thursday, qualifying on Friday, and the race on Saturday. Stay up to date with all the action by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and if you enjoy the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. You can also visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com, where you can also check out the Pit Pass Motorsports blog, powered by Podium Life, featuring racing articles and motorsport interviews. Industry news. Formula One is back for 2024. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.